Alexa, play Imagine Dragons. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Super Speed Golf. Now here's your host... Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And one week from tonight is Christmas, right? We've got We've got uh, seven more, I guess six more shopping days, if you will. I've got all mine done. This is the first time, I think, ever that I've been done this early and uh, very happy to say that. And I've still got everything to wrap, of course, which is always a challenge for me and my back. But, uh, you know, the holiday traditions, put that channel on, get my Santa Steelers hat on, you know, get all the good Christmas spirit going and boom away, I'll go and and uh, boy, I think that's going to happen about this time next week. Or I mean, I should say this Friday, Saturday is going to be the time of week that uh, I'll be trying to get through all of that. So very much looking forward to it, very much in the, in the holiday spirit. So I hope you are as well. And this is going to be our final show for 2018. And, you know, when I was thinking back and really trying to figure out, you know, who would I want to close the year out with? It was really a very easy choice. And it's my two guests that I'm Fortunate to have with me tonight in Dr. Bob Jones IV and Matthew Lawrence, you know, two of my favorite people anywhere on the planet. I'm going to be talking to Doc about uh, a lot of things. First of all, um, tonight just had, or today just happens to be the 47th anniversary of the passing of his grandfather. So I want to look back a little bit on uh, some of the accomplishments and the things that his grandfather has certainly meant to the game of golf and not just to the game of golf, to the city of Atlanta as well in a state of Georgia. So really want to talk a little bit about that, touch on that with Doc. Also, you know, Doc, for every time that I get uh, to spend some time with him, it's a very spiritual thing for me. Um, he's got a lot of great advice, a lot of great wisdom, and it, it just everything seems to come from a deeper place with him. And I always love those conversations. And I, and I leave them feeling good and having a smile on my face and feeling a little bit better about myself and uh, humanity. So very much looking forward to spending some time with Doc. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, my good friend Matthew Lawrence is going to be back with me. And, you know, Matthew and I, we dish it out to one another, sometimes on the show, but certainly when we're off of it. And I'm sure we'll be dishing on each other a little bit tonight. But if you're listening to the show for the first time, or maybe this is the first time you've listened to an episode when Matthew has been a part of it. Well, first of all, you know that he was an actor long before he became a radio host and a broadcaster for Kentucky basketball. And I first saw Matthew when he was in Eddie and the Cruisers, which, as you guys know, is one of my top five movies of all time. I'll probably, you know, I've probably seen it a hundred times. I could recite the lines to you. But back in the mid-80s when it came out, if you would have told me that one day I'd be calling Matthew a good friend, I would have told you, you know, yeah, right. Well, that dream, if you will, has come true. Matthew is a very good friend. It's always a lot of fun when he is a part of the show. And uh, 
He's had a lot of really great experiences playing in things like celebrity events, talking with great guests on his show, Backspin Golf, which you hear me talking about at the top of the show every single week. So a lot to get into with Matthew. Really looking forward to closing out 2018 with him. He'll join me a little bit later on in this half hour. So, folks, a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before I get started, I want to remind you about Matthew's twin brother, who is also a wonderful person and a great friend, Mitch Lawrence, and his podcast, Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, let you know about great places to stay, play, and even eat and drink while you're there. Again, their show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online by going to Golf newsnet.com, audio boom, or pretty much anywhere you consume your podcast. I would also typically remind you about Matthew's show, Backspin Golf, uh, but uh, right about now, but uh, with him joining us on the show, we'll do that a little bit later on. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonero about what they've got going on up there this winter. Play the courses champions play at French Lick Resort. Laura Davies won the 2018 Senior LPGA title on our Pete Dye course. Colin Montgomery won the Senior PGA title here in 2015. For an experience drenched in history, play our Donald Ross course, where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship. It's never too early to plan that next buddy trip to play legendary golf at French Lake Resort, the Midwest's premier golf destination. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLick.com to see for what a wonderful place they've got up there and to book your stay as well. I also want to tell you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get the extra new edge irons and go out on the range and compare them to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Again, check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories online at BenHoganGolf.com. Please also check out the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. Their holiday collection is out. A tribute to the golf films Bobby Jones made with the biggest stars of the early 1930s, resulting in a renewal of authentic sportswear for the many roles that you play in life. See it online by going to bobbyjones.com. All right, now back in making his fifth appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Dr. Bob Jones, the fourth grandson of Bobby Jones. He was born and raised in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is located in the very western part of the state over near the New York state line. Now lives in Johns Creek, Georgia, which is just northeast of Atlanta. Doc has a doctorate degree in English literature, a master's in divinity, a doctorate in clinical psychology. He's working now as a sports psychologist. It's really been wonderful getting to know Doc over the last few years. There's, like I say all the time, there's something very spiritual about spending time with Doc that has stayed with me since the very first time I had him on the show. So it was very easy when I was planning out my guests for this time of year, thinking about who would be on my last show of the year, joining me right before Christmas and certainly New Year's. And of course, uh, it had to be Doc, and I'm very excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Doc, thanks for being with me. Chris, thanks. It's great to be with you. It's hard to believe it's your last show of the year. This is great. What an honor. (laughs) 
Ah, uh, well, I appreciate you. Like I say, if I it, when I really got to thinking, you know, who would I want to have to close out 2018? Boy, your name popped right up because, like I say, you know, every time I get to spend some time with you, it's very meaningful. It's a very spiritual thing for me. And uh, you know, here we are, a week, you know, shy of Christmas, and uh, you know, here the, in the holiday season. Boy, I thought, you know, very- boy, spending time with Doc is perfect. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I was scared when you said you were filling out your list about who you wanted to get, but nobody could make it, so you called me. I, that's what I was scared <laughs> you were going to say. So, <laughs> so, so Doc, is we, here we are today, right? And um, I really didn't realize when I asked you to come on the show again, thinking I'm, I'm closing out 2018, but then when I started looking around, I realized Today is the 47th anniversary of the passing of your grandfather. And I imagine if we went out to Oakland Cemetery tonight, which is just outside of downtown Atlanta, we'd find a few more golf balls than usual on his grave today. But uh, I just thought, you know, we'd kick it off by some memories of your grandfather. And certainly at this time of year, it had to be a very special time of year in the Jones household. It was. You know, we very rarely spent Christmas with my grandfather because, you know, we were up in Massachusetts at the time. But, uh, you know, uh, but we would speak to, we would speak to my grandfather and my grandmother. Uh, generally we spoke to them every week, but especially on holidays. And their, their gifts to us, of course, were always something that would make, uh, any child want to leap through flame just to get to their Christmas presents. They were always <laughs> well thought out and always over the top. So, you know, we really, uh, we really always look forward to them at Christmas time. Um, but in our house, you know, growing up in Western Massachusetts, it was like growing up in a part of the country that was like living in a Courier and Ives print. I mean, it was, it was an absolutely beautiful part of the country to grow up in. And it's only since I've come down south that I've realized that it was also incredibly cold. So I'm, I'm glad that we don't have to deal with that part of it. And Doc, speaking of your grandfather, the last time that we had you on the show, the new Bobby mm-hmm. Jones Golf Complex here in Atlanta was yet to open. It's been open now for about six weeks and really getting rave reviews from everything that I've read. So I wanted to get your thoughts. How do you think it turned out? I think it turned out absolutely fantastic. It is such a testimony. Uh, it is such a testimony to the vision of Marty Elgison, who I think you've had on, uh, who was the original. Yeah. This was his idea. Uh, it is a testimony to his vision and persistence. It is a testimony to the creativity and artistry of the late Bob Cup and also of his son Bobby for his work in uh, finishing the, uh, the work that his dad started. Um, and it's just a real and, – and, you know, when you look at all the corporations and all the individuals that have donated at this point over $20 million to this project, uh, it, it's really humbling to see that kind of love uh, for my grandfather. And, and the neat thing is, is that what they have created, while it might not be able to be reproduced everywhere, because, I mean, most people don't just have $25 million lying around. There are ideas in, the, in how that course has been put together that in pieces could be taken to other municipal uh, golf air golf courses, uh, especially in this time when municipal golf is having to really rethink itself uh, in order to survive. And I think there's a lot at Bobby Jones Golf Course that could be helpful to them. And uh, from things like 
uh, flexible tee systems that make a course play anywhere from 5,000 yards all the way up to 7,500, and you pick the one that is perfect for how you hit the ball, not based on your gender or your age or anything like that. That's one thing. The use of technology um, in terms of delivering really top-notch customer service will be something that I think could be taken to other courses as well. In terms of the playability of the course itself, it's absolutely fantastic. There is not an inch of rough anywhere on the property. It is just all cut to fairway length. You would think that would make the course really easy, but I can assure you from personal experience that you can get into some really funny angles if you don't hit it straight. But it's a great experience, and it really introduces fun into the game. I think my grandfather would be uh, so happy about how it's, uh, how it's turned out. And Doc, for those who aren't familiar with the course and the, and the setup, it's a reversible nine. But to your point, yes. you can play it at various lengths. Talk about what it's like playing it as a reversible nine. Well, the good news about that is, is that you don't play it in both directions at the same time. Uh, that would be, that would be a little nerve wracking because you'd have people hitting into you all the time. But, uh, I have not had a chance yet to play it in its full reversible form. I've only played it around one way. But what is interesting is because it's reversible, you have, I believe, the white flags for the azalea course and the red flags for the magnolia. Now, here's what's interesting. If you're playing the azalea course, the magnolia flags will be much more difficult. So you could, if you wanted to, if you wanted a little bit more of a challenge, play to an opposite flag to increase the challenge of a particular hole. The, uh, so that, that's one thing about it. The other thing about the, um, uh, the one thing that's also interesting about it is let's say you're playing a hole and you tend to hit the ball 235 and you're playing from tee set number four or five and you decide, you know, it'd be fun to kind of see if I could make this a drivable par four. Well, there's nothing in the way we play that golf course that would stop you from moving forward and playing from a more forward tee and challenging yourself that way. It introduces a variety into the game that um, I think is really, it's really unique, and it really changes the way that we think about how you play a golf course. And, Doc, you know, when you look at the old, the former Bobby Jones golf course, probably wasn't as something that might be as impressive to your grandfather as this new one. Talk about now well, you've got this beautiful new course with your name <laughs> attached to it, and now for generations. I think I can put it in this way. My grandfather hit the first ball off the first tee in 1932. He played a round of golf with Charlie Yates, and after he finished that round, he thanked everybody, and he never played the course again. Uh, on November the 5th of this year, I hit the first ball off the new Bobby Jones golf course, and I can guarantee you I'm going to play there as often as I can get into the city. So it is that – it is – I mean, to be, I played Bobby Jones once and said, wow, what an honor to my grandfather. Don't think I'm coming back. Wow. And yep. – but I will play this course a lot. And the other thing about it, too, Chris, uh, a lot of this golf course still sits down in a floodplain. But what's nice is hmm. 
So if we get a super, super rainstorm, we might be off the golf course for 24, 36 hours. It drains really, really well. But the other thing is we still now have a full driving range up on the top of the hill. So there is never a day that you cannot go out and at least hit golf balls at Bobby Jones. And that's very different. Doc, as we sit here getting close to the end of 2018, like I say, our last show of the year, I want to look back a little bit at the year that was. And as you look back <laughs> at the things that you got to be involved with and you do some great work with, with the Bobby Jones Foundation, you've had this new golf course open up, and I'm sure a myriad of other things. What are some of the events that you got to be a part of that when you look back, it uh, sticks out to you? Well, you know, you said it yourself. I mean, we've been uh, we've been very blessed in that we've worked very closely for years with the Chiari and Syringomyelia Foundation. That's the disease that killed my grandfather. And just about a month or so ago, we signed a new agreement where they're going to become the Bobby Jones Chiari and Syringomyelia Foundation. And we decided to do that because nobody can even pronounce the condition, much less really describe what they are. Right. But they can remember Bobby Jones, and we hope that that will be a big plus for them. In terms of the world of golf, I have to say the most exciting thing for me in all of 2018 was to be at East Lake when Tiger Woods won the Tour Championship. Uh, I don't know if, you know, it's so funny because we now live in the 24-hour news cycle, which gets people saying some pretty strange things sometimes. And people always talk about now, like, well, does this mean Tiger's back and he's going to win a lot more majors? I don't know if he will win another major or five more majors or no more majors. But what I do know is that was one of the most, that was just one of the most important and enjoyable things that I have ever seen uh, in following golf literally all of my life. Um, to see that comeback, but even more so, to see the difference in how Tiger interacted with the young people that were at Eastlake, how he interacted with the fans in general at Eastlake. Uh, it was really, really nice uh, to see uh, the development, at least of his, I, I don't know him in private, but at least of his public persona, of his assuming sort of the mantle of, uh, of an ambassador of the game. And then to see him win at Eastlake was... Uh, it was just one of the greatest things I've ever had the opportunity to win. And uh, that, that will always stand out for me as my highlight of 2018. So taking that to the next step, as we look ahead to 19, if, you, if I'm blessed enough to be sitting here again with you a year from now, what are some uh -huh. of the things that you hope that we're talking about that happened in 2019? Well, you know, you always hope for exciting majors. Um, you always hope for exciting majors. I think if there was one thing that I was really, that I would really love to see as we come to the end of 2019, I'd like to see a little bit of a, I would like to see a change in the world of golf, not, not so much in terms of how we do our golf courses for championships, but I'd like to see, say at the end of 2019, that we've really started to rethink how do we make golf courses that are accessible to the average guy, um, where the average guy can just go out and have a good time and not have to necessarily uh, get beaten into the ground by these 70, 
two, seventy three, seventy four hundred yard monsters. Um, I think, I think, and, and, and that may mean we have to do a couple of different things. It may mean we, how we have to redo some of our courses, or it may be time that those who govern the game have to start thinking about: Is it now time to come up with different standards for equipment, where perhaps we're limiting the ball for the really or and the equipment for the really top players, but uh, not so much for the average players. If you think about it, baseball has had that standard for years. Um, football does it with like different size balls, unless you're Tom Brady uh, for college and the <laughs> pro game. And uh, you know, all sorts of sports make these changes to accommodate uh, the average player versus the expert. And I think we're at a point where it's time to start thinking about that for the game of golf, too. You know, I say that because, you know, in 2019, I'll turn 62, and I certainly don't hit the ball anywhere near the way I did when I was uh, 30. So I'm a little more sympathetic. Uh, I'm a little more sympathetic to the plight, uh, the plight of, that a lot of golfers face than I was when I was a little more grandiose. And that's what I would like. And Doc, as you as you talked about the new golf course, and you you touched on different lengths of uh, tees. You know, the course plays different lengths based on based on tees. And we've been fortunate to have Bill Bergen on the show several times, and and his courses uh, have several different tees on them. And it's really based mm-hmm. on how far you drive the ball, right? You talked about exactly. how it isn't based on gender. Uh, it's really based on you get up to a tee, you get up to the practice tee, and you hit a drive and okay, now based on the length that that drive goes, it tells you which color tee to go play. And I think that's something, you know, for, for guys like you and me who grew up where the ladies played from the reds, you had the whites, right. you had the blues, and you had the gold or the black at, at the very back. And it became sort of an ego thing, right? You know, like my buddies, right. when, when we play, oh, I'm not playing from the white tees. I'm going to play from the blues. Like, you know, dude, you shoot 100. Go, shit, go hit from the white tees. They, we have a problem with, you know, I, you know, with our own egos with where it will let us play or not. But now with the different right. keys based on the drive, I think that makes a huge difference in the speed of play and the enjoyment of oh. the game. You talked about a moment ago, drivable par fours if you want. I think that's where we got to get well, our minds around. Go have fun. No, I think, I think that's exactly right. And the other thing is, uh, the other thing is that, uh, like at Bobby Jones Golf Course, we don't even use colors on the tees. In fact, we don't even have tee markers. There are plaques in the ground. There's and they run number one through number eight. And the reason we do that is we want to get everybody totally away from this notion of um, of you know. Well, I'm going to play the blues because that's where I always play from. So I mean, it, it's totally uh, totally designed simply to get people out of thinking exactly of what you were just talking about. Doc, a couple more before we let you go, and I want to go back for a moment um, to your your grandfather. And and I'm not sure anybody in the history of the game has dealt with as much pressure to win than your grandfather did at times. Did he ever talk about how he dealt with people betting, almost like, and I've read stories, people bet everything, bet the house on Bobby Jones that he would win. So it wasn't like he was out trying to win a golf tournament for himself and just a golf tournament. Suddenly now he's trying to, he's got this pressure of if I lose, there are people that will literally lose everything because they bet on me. 
Well, you know, he didn't think about that directly, like, while he was actually playing a competitive round. But it was something that was on his mind. And, uh, you know, by the time, especially by the time of the Grand Slam year, uh, Bobby Cruikshank, I believe, uh, bet something like twenty or $25,000 at the beginning of the year that Bub would win the Grand Slam, which, think about that. Um, mm. At any rate, but he also found, remember, in 1930, we were in the first year of the Great Depression. Right. And there were people in Atlanta who were betting large, large sums of money. Uh, on my grandfather to win tournaments. And one of the things that he frequently said was, he said, you know, that that, that really did bother him, that people were placing basically the financial future of their family on his uh, ability to win a golf tournament. As he put it, he said, you know, he said tournament golf is difficult enough anyway because as you progress as a tournament player, it ceases to be fun and becomes more of an expectation. He said the other thing that was very difficult about that was that he hated to be thought of as not much more than a racehorse. And mm. I always thought that was a very um, that was a very meaningful statement. Because, you know, Bob never used words uh, loosely. And I think what he was saying to that is, yeah, by you seeing, seeing him as a racehorse, it's basically looking at him as somebody who can just you know, perform at a certain level, not as a human being that is has meaning and value in and of himself who happens to be doing a very remarkable thing. Those are two very different things, and that bothered him considerably. And, Doc, one of the other things that people nowadays are dealing with more and more, with, you, know, you talk about pressure and things of that nature, and, and uh, we do a show on Thursday nights uh, with the NFL talking about a lot of the players have foundations and work that they're doing uh, with respect to bullying. And now we've got kids and, and players and, and, you know, just average guys like you and me with social media out there with a lot of pressure and a lot of negativity that gets, you know, put out into the ether, if you will, out into the Internet world based on uh, sort of cyberbullying now. I know uh, some young kids deal with that. I mean, my kids deal with that. That's uh, something you and I never had to deal with growing up. When you're talking to whether it's you know adults or young kids that are out playing for the first time or dealing with school and issues along with cyberbullying, how do you get people to tune that stuff out? Because social media is such a prevalent part of our lives now. You know, that's a really hard one. That is an extremely hard question, Chris. And you know, a lot of it just sort of depends on uh, on the young people themselves. I'm very I'm very lucky in the sense, especially with the young athletes that I work with. Um, I am very very lucky that a f very few of the top level players that I work with are really even that involved with social media. So that that helps. However, in a lot in a couple of those cases, they have very firm, loving, good parents that, that steer them in the right direction. Um, sometimes you just, it, it's like any clinical situation. You just have to deal with it on a case-by-case -case basis on what they bring basically in front of you at the time. Um, it's hard to say that there's any one treatment for cyberbullying. It's just something you have to deal with. One of the things I do tell them, though, 
is when you look at the, the Heisman Trophy Awards from just a, a week or so ago, that's a nice reminder for people that uh, that cyber memory is unlimited and goes back forever. And things that you might think you post in jest can come back to haunt you later on in life, which is not necessarily a bad lesson for young people to learn. Agreed. Well, Doc, before we let you go, you know, like I say, you, you do clinical psychology now here in and around Atlanta. Let our listeners know if they uh, want to reach out to you, talk to you, follow you, that sort of thing, how they can do that. Absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn at Dr. Bob Jones IV. Uh, you can follow me. You can also find me at the Behavioral Institute of Atlanta in Sandy Springs, and that's at BIA. Bravo India Alpha Georgia.com, or you can find me at Dr. Robert T. Jones.com. Uh, always, uh, always glad to hear from some golfers and uh, always have some openings on the calendar. Well, Doc, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's a great way for me to end the year. It's a great way for me to spend 20 or so minutes with you. It's, uh, it's always a lot of fun. It's always very informative and, uh, like I say, at the end of every segment with you, I walk away with a smile on my face, and uh, I can't thank you enough for doing that. Well, and I do the same, Chris. I hope you and your family have a wonderful Christmas and New Year's, and uh, hope to speak to you in 2019. Same here, Doc. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. All right. Take care. Bye. See you, Doc. That is Dr. Bob Jones IV. He is the grandson of the great Bobby Jones and uh, just one of the wonderful people you get to meet in this life. He's got a lot of great advice. He's got a lot of great stories. And, uh, you know, when we get the opportunity to spend more time talking about the mental aspect of the game and the things that he is doing with junior golfers and young adults, it's uh, it's very inspirational. And uh, I can't thank Doc enough for uh, taking time out of his night to come back. And uh, we certainly look forward to catching up with him very early in 2019. All right, before I get to my next guest, Matthew Lawrence, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors. First, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Superspeed Golf. Now used by over half of the tour players around the world, Superspeed Golf is the fastest and most effective way to increase your swing speed. Three eight-minute training sessions per week are all you need to see a 5% increase in your swing speed. With sets for golfers of all ages and over one year of included video instruction as well, Superspeed offers a complete solution to help you start bombing it off the tee. Visit them online at superspeedgolf.com to pick up your set today. I also want to remind you about my N4, M4 driver from TaylorMade Golf. And folks, if you haven't tried their twist face technology, you're missing out. I don't know about you, but I don't hit it in the center of the face every single time. Well, after studying hundreds of thousands of swings from pros and amateurs like us, TaylorMade designed their new drivers to protect us from our mishits and give us straighter distance. So whether your miss is on the low heel or the high toe, twist face brings the ball back to center keeping the distance we want, but finding the fairway more often. Their new drivers are also the choice of some pretty good golfers you might recognize. Twistface is played by Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, John Rahm, Justin Rose, and those guys, just to name a few of them, and they're dominating the top 10 out on tour. So if you haven't tried Twistface, go hit it and get fit. It's in the new M3 and M4 drivers and only from TaylorMade Golf. And folks, this holiday season, Turn to our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore as your one-stop shop for all things for golf or tennis. From Titleist Pro V1s to the latest technology in clubs, rangefinders, and apparel, 
PGA Tour Superstore has the assortment and expertise to help check every item off your list. If you're not sure what to get, check out their holiday gift guide at PGATourSuperstore.com for recommendations for golfers just like you and me. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Matthew Lawrence. You know, folks, like I said at the top of the show, 30-plus years ago, before I ever met Matthew, he played the bass player Salamato in the movie Eddie and the Cruisers, which you guys know is in the top five for me of all time. He and that movie became very special to me through the, and fortunately for me, through the power of social media, Twitter in particular, somehow we struck up a conversation and now he's become a dear friend that I admire and respect immensely. And you hear me talk about Matthew and his show Backspin Golf every week at the top of the show because A, it's fantastic and B, it's Matthew's. And, but, uh, you know, of course now Matthew has ruined my Sunday mornings for the last couple of months because for some reason he needs time off. Yeah. Okay. Now his credit, you know, to his credit, now every Sunday morning, he calls me, you know, because I can't get through my Sundays unless I hear Matthew's voice. Now, it isn't always the chipper Matthew Lawrence that we hear on his show. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going back to bed. Goodbye. But you know what? I love Matthew. There's nobody I'd rather have as my final guest of the year than him, and I'm very humbled that he is joining me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Matthew. How are you, my friend? Hold on. I'm laughing here. Hold on. I'm just laughing. You actually <laughs> kept that voicemail and just played it again? Really? I did. I did. Okay. Now. Why, would, now. why wouldn't I? That's a clap. Okay. Here's, here's the deal. Okay. So yeah. I say I'm taking a little time off, which many people do, especially since I have, I don't know, seven other shows other than Backspin Golf that I'm doing regularly. So I take a little time <laughs> off. Not only do you tell me that I have to call you at precisely 8.03 every Sunday morning when people are day off, perhaps, get to sleep in a little bit. I have to hear, I have to get a text because one morning it was 8.07 and I hadn't called you yet. <laughs> really? I'm waiting. And then, I'm waiting. And then, and then, I, you know what? I thought I only had two kids. Apparently I have three. <laughs> Apparently. I'm just saying. Uh, but, you know, whatever I have to do to make you happy, <laughs> Chris. <laughs> Oh, my life. And that is the you important know, thing. Yeah, it is the important thing, is that you're happy at 803 on the Sunday. My happiness is the important thing. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Uh, and let me just say, and I say this every time, I'm lucky enough to be on Next on the Tee with you. I always follow some incredible guests every single time. And... I hear the name Bob Jones the fourth. Oh, he's the grandson of Bobby Jones. Oh, 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 really? And now I bet he doesn't call you at eight oh three every Sunday morning, does he? No, <laughs> no, no, he, he does not. No. Okay. All right. That, uh, that time is reserved for you. Trying to make a point. Oh, okay. Oh, he <laughs> called you at eight oh nine. Okay, I get it. All right. Tea times. Your tea time uh, is 8.03. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Correct. 
it's almost enough to drive me to start doing the show again at 8.03. This is almost. Now you see, there's a method to my madness. Okay, and it is madness. <laughs> I'm fine. Thank you for asking, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That was a long-winded, I'm fine. And by the way, I'm shocked. <laughs> yes. I'm shocked to hear that you don't hit it in the middle of the club face every time. I'm shocked. By I that. do not. I Well, okay. I, it is true, though. I, you know, I'm, you I, know I, I, know, I know you do, and I'm trying to get there. But, you know, you, you've got the advantage. You've got Perry French with you all the time. So you can that's go out correct. and do whatever it is you need to do. That's, who, for those correct. who don't know, Perry is Matthew's sidekick on uh, on backspin golf. He's also the territory manager for Strixon Golf. So you that's sort correct. of got you got an advantage on me. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe sometime you can come up to Lexington, and I'll let Perry take you out. Let him teach you what he's taught me so well to where I hit it right <laughs> in the middle of the club face every time. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's, what's even more amazing is that doing that with each shot, I still shoot 88 sometimes, 94 sometimes. It's amazing. Maybe it's my putting. Maybe I'm not hitting it in the middle of the putter face every time. There you go. Okay. It's short game, man. Right. As, as Tom Patry, who's a friend of yours as well, as Tom Patry yes. says to us all the time, game, short game, short game, my friend. Got to practice that. Correct. Now, I want to get you know, and I want to stick with sort of the Perry French thing for a moment, because as I've listened to you religiously every Sunday morning, you have been talking about the Zexio golf ball all year long. Now, yes. you know, it's not you go to Strixon.com. There's no Zexio on there. It's so super secret. They've got their own website and you've got to really know how to spell <laughs> Zexio, which is XXIO. It would take Correct. a little research to figure out. Now, yeah. I know that Perry's given you some of those golf balls and you, A, won't let anybody else touch them. And I'm not Correct. sure anybody else, you know, can, you know, when they, you know, you won't let them hit them. You won't let them touch them. You won't let them hold them. No. So I got to gotta know how good are they? All right. Here's the, here's the thing with these golf balls, which is so funny. It's awesome. It's the best part of my day when I play, even better than the golf is, when I'm playing with somebody that has never seen one before, I'll take one out and I'll say, do you know about Zexio or Zexio golf balls or clubs or anything? No, we don't. And I explained to them that Zexio has been a top brand, the higher end brand in Japan for a long time. And it is now, uh, along with Strixon and Cleveland Golf, and Skechers, part of what Perry offers to his partners. And this golf ball, aside from all the thing and everything that makes it different in performance, which is pretty astounding, actually, it's so beautiful that you don't want to hit it. And I'll explain what I mean. There, you, you say, how can a golf ball be beautiful? <laughs> well... <laughs> There are little flecks of gold surrounding this white golf ball. And the word Zexio and the number on the golf ball are also in gold. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And when you look at it, and when I take it out of uh, my golf bag and I say, here, well, here, this is one of the Zexio balls. 
and I'll hold it and people look at it and they go, oh my, I've never seen a ball like that. And they reach for it, like to look at it. I pull it away. I won't let them touch it. <laughs> I, I don't even let them touch it. And frankly, it's a great way on the first tee to get under somebody's skin. And then, and, you know, you can really go after them out on the golf course. Um, they're actually, all kidding aside, they're the most amazing. And I love some tricks on golf balls. And everybody has their balls. There are a lot of great golf balls out there. But honestly, I've never played a ball like this before. Um, the technology that's gone into it, and it's all, he explained it to me one day. I have no idea what he's talking about, but I just know that I truly do hit it further off the tee. And I believe me, I haven't made any drastic swing changes where that would happen. And around the green, it's incredibly soft, and it putts better than any golf ball I've ever putted with. And I actually have given uh, a couple to, to a couple of very close friends of mine, and they've played them, and they love them too. So uh, thanks for asking about yeah, like it there. It's pretty funny. The whole thing around them is, is actually pretty funny. I guess so those if you, close you know friends what? Me that weren't named Chris Mascaro because you know I got nothing, but that's all right. Well, well, it's, what, it's how about this, Chris? Chris, have, all right. I was going to send you some, but when you're begging for Christmas presents <laughs> like that, forget it. It's not happening. <laughs> no, it isn't actually. In my bag, I have a couple of X out like balls with a couple, you know, that have been split that I'll send you for Christmas. You can put those under your tree. How about that? <laughs> so good to me, Matthew. Okay. So, so, so now, but, you know, to your point, though, right, you, you would think, well, I'm hitting the ball farther, which should speed up yeah. play. Now, the opposite side of that coin is if a ball happens to go in the rough or into the trees or whatever, does it slow down play? Because, look, I don't, I'm not going anywhere. We're sitting here until we find this ball, this golf ball. Oh, I'll take a half hour to look for a ball if I hit it someplace <laughs> it's not supposed to be. As a matter of fact, the first yeah. time I ever played it, I kind of chunked about an 80-yard shot, and it went into – and I actually rolled my pants up and went in the creek and got the golf ball because I'm not – I can't – Perry won't give me anymore, so i got to make do with what I have. <laughs> You know, we're kidding around, but golfers are very weird. Like, I know when people get a Pro V1, they'll get a sleeve of Pro V1s or something or whatever top-end golf ball. We don't really like to play them that much because we don't want to lose them because they're expensive. <laughs> you know, Lee Trevino, Lee Trevino once said, golfers are the only people that will wear a pair of $500 slacks and $200 shoes and go up to their knees in mud to get a $2 golf ball. <laughs> and, and he's right. He's right. We're weird. Yes, yes we are. <laughs> Matthew, I want to get your memories of a couple of things because I know what a huge Seve Ballesteros fan you are. And for me, the 86 Masters is the greatest golf tournament ever because I'm a huge Jack Nicklaus fan. And I, I don't know that mm -hmm. I've been more excited about a sporting event outside of the 2004 Red Sox than I was when Nicklaus yeah. won that 86 Masters. Now, the opposite side of the coin is as a Seve fan, that has to be painful to to see how he yeah. altered down the stretch. Was it 
Was it great? Was it good and bad? Or was it just all bad for you? No, it was good and bad. Um, I'm not quite as big. Uh, obviously, Jack, arguably the greatest golfer to some people, not argue, arguably. Um, but um, Sebi has, from the first time I saw him, I don't even remember when that was. It was in the 70s, probably late 70s, maybe. Or from the very first time I saw him, he I he has no bigger fan than me ever. And um, so it was very hard to watch him three putt. I think it was on 17 on Sunday um, because I thought he had a, a really great shot to win that Masters. But by the same token, um, what Jack did in that Masters at the age that he was, at the age of 46 and um, shooting 65 on the final day. And one golfer that I was never a fan of, and I'm not really 100% sure why, but I've never been a Greg Norman fan, ever. And I hate to say this because it means I'm a bad person, but I was not displeased at what happened in that Masters. You know, the, the, the going into that final round, there were some pretty big names up on that leaderboard. It wasn't just Norman. It was Bernard Langer was up there. and. Obviously, Seve and Jack shot 65 on Sunday. How can you not? I mean, all of us, when Vern Lundquist, um, who is a friend of mine, and I asked him about this once, about his famous call, yes, sir, when Jack raised that putter, I get choked up thinking about it. Um, you know, how can you not just love that? I mean, so it was, I hated that, that Seve lost it, but I loved that. Jack won it in the way that he did. Um, you know, it was a truly magical day for sports, not just for golf, but in sports. You know, in this this past weekend, you know, the father son tournament was on. I don't know if you get you had the opportunity to catch any of that tournament, but Nicholas, at seventy nine years old, still to me yeah. the best putter on the planet, even at seventy nine. If yeah. you said, you know what, I need, I need, uh, you got to have one guy putt for you. To save your yeah. life, who is it going to be? At yeah. 79 years old, I'm still picking Jack Nicklaus. You know, it's funny. I um, I just I can't even remember who because I'm old. I can't really remember. But I, I just saw on Twitter something the other day, and I saved it and went back that night and read it. Uh, some one of the famous golfers was talking just this year about putting, and he talked about Jack's putting stroke. And said that if anybody ever wants to become a good putter, all they have to do is adapt Jack's putting stroke. And he went through the three keys, you know, stay low over the ball. Uh, it's all about accelerating through the ball and the angle of his right wrist never changes. And he said there is, you will never ever find a better putting stroke than Jack Nicholas's. And, you know, you don't win, what do you win? 792 tournaments or something like that? I mean, <laughs> you know, you, you don't, unless, as we've seen with Tiger, everybody has always talked about and all those parts of his game have always been, you know, unbelievable, but he won 14 majors and 80 golf tournaments. <clears throat> because not only because of those things, but the weight that he made that saved pars, that made birdies or eagles. Um, that's a huge reason, even though Jack hit it further than anyone and all of those things. 
you know, his putting was really, really the key to all of it. Matthew, I'm blessed enough to be sitting here, and I was talking about this with with Doc a, a little bit ago, but if I'm blessed to be sitting here again with you closing out 2019, what would what would have to happen for you to look back at 19 and say, man, that was a great golf year? What was what's some things you'd like to see happen? Oh, that's a really great question, Chris. Um, I think I would like to see Ricky Fowler win a major. I think that would be a really great thing to look yeah. back on. Um, I'm a big Ricky fan, and I think he's overdue, and I would love to see that. I would love to see um, the guys that are coming up, the young guys, continue to progress to the point where we all feel the future of our game is in really good hands. I think it's crucial, actually. Um, and we have a ton of them. I mean. I'd love to see Cameron Champ succeed this year in a big way um, and push the guys that are, you know, two years older than him that have already accomplished so much. I don't think – I haven't heard anybody talk about somebody coming on to the tour the way that Cameron Champ is being talked about. And if your listeners haven't seen him play, uh, get ready because other pros are astounded at what he's doing. Uh, with his swing speed and every, every part of his game. Um, so I would like to see the young players continue to grow the way that they do. And I would love to see, um, I'm a big European golf fan. So I would love to see that part of the game. You know, I would love to see Molinari have another great year and not have it just be last year. Um, I would like to, I made a prediction on the last episode of Backspin Golf that we did, you know, for my stupid hiatus before that time uh, about, um, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but we, Perry and I p- had some picks for predictions for 2019. And this is the thing that would make me the happiest next year looking back if I was right. And that is, that I think that Tiger is going to win two majors next year. Oh, really? Uh, listen to what I'm going to tell you, okay? I believe mm-hmm. as we lead up to Augusta, now that Tiger has had the year that he had, and if this is all assuming he stays healthy, of course, but he'll, he'll, he better knows his what his schedule will be, what he needs to do in between tournaments. I believe that he's going to win at Augusta this year, and I believe he's going to win the U.S. Open this year. It's being played at Pebble Beach, as we know, where I believe he's had some success at Pebble Beach. And Rumor that has would it. make me that that would make me the happiest is if we could look back a year from now. And I could say Tiger won two more majors. That would be that would make me happy. Speaking of the Masters, this year you got your first taste of Augusta National, at least live and in person. You're gonna go back. Yes. Uh, for me, once I got the first taste, and that was back, and I've been lucky enough to be there every year since '01. But once you get there, hmm. it's like eating a laced potato chip. You, you have one, <laughs> and now you, you got stop. I, I I gotta have another one, please. So. 
<laughs> to me, that's Augusta National. I can't stop now. So yeah. I, well, I, I got to assume you want to go back. Absolutely, I do. Um, that's quite a strength. 17 years in a row for you, that's pretty good. Yes. But you, you kind of live like a block away, don't you? I mean, so, you know. <laughs> You don't, you I don't wish. really have to make, like, for me, it's a big deal. I mean, you know, uh, but, okay, anyway. Um, no, I absolutely <laughs> hope I get to experience that again. Um, I went, I would, I think if I go back this year, I'll actually go one of the days of the tournament. I went on Wednesday this year and that, just that experience was so beyond what, what, you know, for people that have never been there, you have, kind of built up in your head what it's going to be like and everybody you know that's been there they all say the same thing but until you actually experience walking up to seeing number 12 for the first time in person no matter what it looks like on TV until you walk those grounds I swear there's not one blade of grass out of place I have no I can't keep my front lawn in any kind of shape and that whole place Every blade of grass is perfect. It's perfect. And when, the best thing about it for me, Chris, was when I stood, I picked certain spots where iconic shots have been hit in past masters, like Phil when he hit it through the pine trees. Um, uh, Tiger, when he chipped on 16, that impossible chip that he made, to stand, actually stand near those spots close enough to where you could actually see where that happened. Realize that there is no way they could hit those shots. And then realize in your mind, you play them back and you go, he, this is where he hit that shot from. That's any great golf course, but especially Augusta, that's something that there are spots on the golf course I didn't get to that I hope I get to go back and see every single one of those. Matthew, just a couple more before we let you go. And you've gotten the opportunity to play in a lot of celebrity tournaments and a lot of pro-ams and things of that nature. Of the athletes yeah. and celebrities you got to hang out with, who's the best storyteller? This is actually a great question. Um, there have been so many of them. I'll tell you, first let me say the best group of athletes. What sport produces the best storytellers out of all the sports. And it's not even close. Hands down, hockey, the NHL, produces Really, I would have said they have the best swings. I would have never guessed that they have the best stories. No, and it's not, you know, it's like any other sport. Um, I'm lucky enough to have played in a lot of tournaments with Michael Ruzioni, and he's a great golfer. Um, but some of them aren't. And just like there are some baseball players, Jim Rice, and some of these guys that are as good with a golf club as they were with a bat, and some of them aren't. I mean, for whatever reason. Hockey players, there is no one you can sit. And it's great to play in these tournaments, but the best part of all those celebrity tournaments, and I've been truly, truly blessed in my life to have played in, I can, I have no idea how many, I played in is to sit at a dinner or in a bar after everybody has left the dinner and you sit in a bar with those guys and talk and tell stories. That's the, that's the amazing thing about a celebrity golf tournament. And 
uh, there were years where I, I mean, I can't, I say these names. It's one of the reasons I love talking to you on the show because it, it's stuff I don't talk about very much or think about and it brings it back. We played for many years in the Crosby after it moved to North Carolina from Pebble Beach and it was the biggest tournament we played in. And I mean, big time, you know, Michael Jordan would come and Jack Nicholson came. I mean, it was huge. And, we stayed in this. It was in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is not the most glamorous place. And, you know, we stayed in the hotel. And we one night I was in the bar with Bobby Hull, Stan Makita, and Jean Rattel and Rod Gilbert. Wow. Wow. And all had a little bit to drink because, you know, hockey players, every once in a while, will have a couple of nightcaps. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> And to sit with where I'm sitting, looking a foot away, and Bobby Hall is telling me a story about when he was, you know, 12 years old and the things he used to do on the farm. And the, and then they would talk about the guys they played with, and they were always stories about that ended with everybody crying, laughing so hard. Um, those are times that I remember. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to be able to hear stories from almost every childhood sports idol that I had through celebrity golf tournaments. Um, I, I might have told, I'm not sure I ever told you this story. I grew up in New York and I was a huge Yankees fan. And one year I played in a tournament in Bentonville, Arkansas, which was the home of Walmart, still is. And it was, a huge celebrity tournament in, we stayed in a Holiday Inn, in a rundown Holiday Inn. I mean, there was nothing there, but all these people came. And I walked down into the room, the hospitality room one night, and the first night, and I look over at this table, and sitting at this table are Bill Scourin, Moose Scourin, and Hank Bauer, two Yankee wow. legends. and. They were just sitting by themselves, and uh, I don't know how old. They were probably in their 60s, then late 60s, maybe. And I got—I was so excited, I walked over, and I sat down, and I introduced myself, and we started drinking, too. <laughs> and, and I was sitting with these two Yankee legends, and they started telling me stories. Hank Bauer was Mickey Mantle's roommate. Mantle's rookie year with the Yankees. So he would, was telling stories about Mickey and, and Moose Garron was a little quieter. And then I happened to mention that I said, I remember going to a game at the stadium where you played, and I think it was 1961, you played the Tigers. And I said to Scourin, I said, and you got a base hit with two outs in the ninth inning to beat the Tigers one nothing. I said, and I remember that game. And Scourin turned to Hag Bauer and said, Don Mossy, curveball. And this was you know, 30 years, after, 40 years after the game, however long it was. Um, those are the kind of things, little things. And just to cap it off quickly, I'll tell you my favorite of these stories. And it's not about storytellers. I used to take my mom, Mitchell did too, my my beloved twin brother, Mitchie, we used to take 
mom with us to golf tournaments, um, all over to golf tournaments for years because she enjoyed it more than anything. And everybody got to know her. They all called her mom. And one year we went to play. My mother was the biggest Brooklyn Dodger fan that ever lived. <laughs> if I could use some hyperbole. And, um, we, I went to this tournament in Wilmington, North Carolina one year and with mom. And we walked in and we said hello to all, to all our friends. And I looked at this table and there were some guys sitting around and I asked Gail Wingo who ran the tournament. I don't recognize them. Who are they? And she said, this is this and this is this guy. And those two guys, that's Carl Erskine and, and Clem Labine. Now they were pitchers on the Dodgers at the time when my mother was a fanatic Brooklyn Dodger fan. And I said, wait till mom comes over here. And I went and I got mom and I brought her over to the table and I didn't even say their names. And she, and these, they were much, obviously much older than when they played ball. My mother looked at the two faces and I could see her eyes start to tear up. And I said, mom, Carl Erskine and Clem Labine. And my mother burst into tears and hugged the two of them like they were her sons and sat down at that table. And the whole weekend, she would see them and they would sit and talk. And it's one of the greatest memories of my mother that I had. I mean, those tournaments wow. were a huge, huge part of my life. I met my wife at the tournament here in Lexington. I, my sons are, my family is a result of my my time here in Lexington playing in that golf tournament. So I know that's a little bit off your question, but I'm rambling. Sorry. I'm old. <laughs> that's a great story because my next question was going to be, what's your favorite story to tell? When they're, when they're all telling stories, what's your favorite story to tell? I don't know if you can beat that one. But that's amazing. well, that that's a pretty good one. I mean, I'll, I can tell yeah. you um, the biggest compliment I think that I've gotten at a, at a uh, celebrity golf tournament. Um, you have the practice round, which is usually for the just the celebrities and maybe the sponsors uh, the day before the tournament starts. So one year I went to play in a tournament in the. I, I, it was one of the first ones I ever played in. I think it was in, I want to say, 1988. And I walked up, I got to the golf course, and I took my bag, and the kid took it from me, and he said, uh, the carts are over here. And he went to put my bag on a cart with whoever I was going to be playing that's practice around with. And I looked at the bag. There was nobody there, and I turned the bag tag around, and it was Julius Irving. Wow. Julius Irving, Julius Irving, uh, grew up about 15 minutes from us, from me and Mitchie. And we played against him in high school. And, wow. uh, he sat down in the car with me and I, it had, I graduated high school 20 years before that. And I said to Julius, <laughs> said, I, I waited about three holes and he was wonderful. And we started talking and I told him, I remember I sat next to you at Madison Square Garden when you signed with the Virginia Squires. And, you know, I said to him, I know you don't remember me. And he started laughing. I said, come on, we had a whole conversation. Well, how could you not remember me? 
And, <laughs> and then on about the fourth or fifth hole, I said, you know, I played against you. He said, you did? Where'd you go to high school? I said, Hewlett. He said, you went to Hewlett, really? I said, um, yeah. And he thought for a minute and he said, do you have a twin brother? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, I remember you guys. Julius Irving said that. That's wow. The greatest compliment you can get from anywhere. Of course, he, he, I asked him if he remembered it. He said, not really. And I said, so you don't remember me dropping 48 on you, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, you know, <laughs> he didn't really remember that. <laughs> but those kinds of things, as I said, the, the same thing happened to me one time getting in a card at a pro-am and I turned the bag tag around and it was Bart Starr. Wow. And these, as, as somebody, who grew up idolizing these people and I couldn't even talk to him for the first four holes. I couldn't, I kept looking at him and it's, it was Bart Starr. I was like, what do I say to him? He was wonderful. He had a son, I think, who wanted to be an actor. And so he was very inquisitive about acting and all kinds of different things. And we had a great time. We spent the whole day um, having a great time playing, but also talking about different things. And all those guys, I mean, every question I asked him about, you know, the ice bowl and about who was your favorite running back that you ever had behind you and who, the, I mean, for all of us, those listening and for you and me, imagine the, being able to do that with those people, like actually asking them those questions. Um, it's been, a, a, golf has been, the biggest part of my life, easily, by far, um, more so than acting, more so than anything. It has, it's had the most influence on my life of anything. And if it wasn't for golf and social media, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So, yeah, well, it's not don't a profound think impact I don't, on both I don't, of our lives. Don't think that I don't think about that all the time because, and, and in the same way, I was I didn't get on Twitter until I started doing my golf show five years ago. I refused to be on Twitter. And I had a young producer at the time who said, You have to do you have to get on Twitter. It's how you're gonna connect with people that we can have on the show. And I said, Oh, okay, whatever and then little by little, um and some some people, you for instance, are some of the best friends that I have. And I've never met them, which is pretty astounding to me um, and something that needs to be corrected. But um, through through that platform, you know, there's that's another huge influence on my life is the people that I've met and um, learned from and talked to and, and been fortunate enough to have on my show or to be on your show. Um, the whole thing, pretty wacky, huh, Chris? It's just wacky. Huh? <laughs> Well, Matthew, before we let you go, let our listeners know when you're going to stop ruining my Sunday mornings and actually be back talking golf on Backspin Golf. You know, that's a really cool way you try to weasel an answer out of me about when I'm starting. (laughs) It's not going to work. I'm not saying. What do you think about that? Sometime in the future, I'll be back with Backspin Golf. I don't know. Maybe it may be the end of January, maybe beginning of February, maybe March. 
It may be March. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I, all I, I can say I is I'm pretty busy. Golf balls. I better get a dozen golf Nixio golf balls for Christmas. Stop I'm just saying, Chris. Stop begging. <laughs> <laughs> you let our listeners know how they can follow you on social media. Uh, at Real Lauro Five, L A U R O, and the number five. At Real Lauro Five is the best way to get get me. Just get me. Wow. <laughs> well. And I would, and I would tell you, you know, let them know how they can follow you on like Facebook, but you won't friend me on Facebook, so I'm not going to let you plug that on the show. So I don't care if oh, anyone geez. follows you have on you Facebook. Request, have you, have you friend requested yes. me on Facebook? Like a year ago, but you know, I'm just oh. saying, it's been a year, yeah, and well, every time, I'm, like you'll, you comment on like when Mitch comes on the show, you'll comment or something on Facebook. I always look back at your profile that says right there, you know, waiting for response. Yeah, it's oh, never comes. You know what? Let me explain how social media, how Facebook works, Chris, <clears throat> especially for somebody who's as famous and powerful as I am. Uh, I, I have I have 10,000 friend requests. I don't look at friend requests. Do you, you understand? So if I missed <laughs> yours, I apologize. I apologize for not having my show on right now on Sunday morning. I apologize for everything I've done wrong. Okay, just a blanket <laughs> apology. How I feel better now. You, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wait You're for the best, those balls and my friend confirmation. <laughs> you can wait for both those friends. <laughs> Maybe in I'm the I'm going by the mailbox every night now. I'm, I'm, I'm okay, sitting yeah. right there by the okay, postman. You do that. I'm waiting for my sex okay. notes. Okay. All right, you do that. Okay. <laughs> You're the best, my friend. I love you, and I can't thank you enough for spending time with me tonight. I look forward to the next time. Hopefully, that's real soon. It will be. Love you, too. Thanks for having me on your last show of 2018. It means a great deal to me. It does. All kidding no, aside. Nobody else. I want to close it out. Have a great holiday. Same here. I'll talk to you uh, in the new year. All right. Take care, Matthew. All the best to you and your family. Okay. See you. You, too. See you. Bye. That's the great Matthew Lawrence, and uh, folks, they just don't come better. He and his brother Mitch are uh, very special to me, and uh, um, I, I don't have any uh, – no more words. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's no more fun than uh, than spending uh, spending time with Matthew and, and with Mitch, and uh, two great people uh, become very good friends. And like he says, you know, it, it is really weird. You know, we connected on social media. Uh, we, we struck up a friendship. It's, uh, it's grown over over the years. and but uh, the, you know the odd part is that we've never laid eyes on one another. We've uh, certainly seen pictures and all of that sort of thing, and and uh, maybe a, a video here or there. But yeah, never never shaking his hand, and uh, we've never laid eyes on each other, and that's something we've got to rectify. If I'm looking back a year from now and saying what would make 2019 great, it's to uh, to play around the golf and then to shake both of their hands. Looking forward to making that happen. All right, folks, before we close up this episode of Next on the Tee, we want to give a shout out to the great folks at the Salute Military Golf Association and our good friend Jim Estes. Let's hear a word from Jim about what a great job those folks are doing with our veterans. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. 
Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, Jim and his team are doing amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. Please go online and check them out at smga.org. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode. My sincere thanks goes out to Dr. Bob Jones IV and Matthew Lawrence for joining me tonight. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you if you enjoyed the show half as much as I did, we we really did something special tonight, and it's, it's been so much fun. And I can't thank those two guys enough for uh, being with me to close out this year. Please check out our page on Facebook next on the Tea with Chris Mascaro. Give me your thoughts and your feedback right there. Plus, if you've got a question for one of our future or previous guests that you'd like me to get answered for you, please let me know. Just put in a comment right in there. We'll be sure to get that uh, answered for you. You can check out who some of our future guests are going to be. We got our schedule right up there on our website next on the T.net. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday nights right here on Blog Talk Radio from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. That show, like this one, also available as a free podcast over on iHeartRadio and our good friends over on Podbean. Can't thank those guys enough for featuring us front and center on their mobile app in the golf section here, obviously, for next on the tee and in the NFL fan section for Thursday night tailgate. On that show, we are joined every week by five NFL legends who come on and share their stories from their playing days, plus give us their insights into what's going on around the league now. Plus, we always close out the show with our favorite segment, which is our Spotlight on the Positive, where we highlight two players doing great things out there in their communities. You can find that show on our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. Again, this show online at NextOnTheT.net. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you're making us part of your golf content. We want to wish everybody out there a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, a safe and prosperous New Year, and we look forward to catching up with you again in 2019. Until then, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about